0: We've done, we ask that your spirit will direct in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 150. Praise you, the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and the harp. Praise him with the timbrel and the dance. Praise him with the stringed instruments and organs. Praise him upon loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise you, the Lord. All right, so we're looking at this, the last of the Hillel Psalms. And of course, Hillel means, is the first part of hallelujah. And Hillel literally means to shine and boast. When we talk about praising in the, in the Hebrew, it's to shine forth, to boast. And, you know, this is what God is wanting us to do for Him shine Him forth, boast about Him. And, you know, one of the things that really gets to me at times is when Christians don't want to boast about God. You know, well, I want to boast about God. I want to say, look what God has done. And I've shared with you, I used to drive people crazy at the restaurants because I would always tell them about what God had done all, you know, for me each day. You know, not so much at the prison. I do. I do, but not as much as I used to at those days. So even I've dr- drifted into this kind of thing. But I also don't have people I'm around all the time at the prison. You know, they float me around. I'm a substitute everywhere I go. So I don't, I don't have that capacity so much. But, you know, do we tell people, do we boast about God and what he's doing for us in our lives, around us, uh, or... As we put on the bulletin today, do we spend a lot of our time griping and not being content? You know, I've been around a lot of people. All they want to do is gripe. Nothing is, nothing is good enough. Nothing is God's, God's being miserable their life. They're miserable. Everybody around them is going to be miserable because they're miserable. You know, I would rather be boasting God, praising praising God. And it starts out with, praise you the Lord. And that's what we've said about the Hillel Psalms. Every one of them start with, praise you the Lord, which in Hebrew is hallelujah and they end hallelujah praise you the Lord and this is that whole section for these last couple chapters has been the Hallel Psalms praising God and it says praise you the Lord praise God in his sanctuary praise him in the firmament of his power so starts out with hallelujah and then praise boast about God in his sanctuary This is one of the things I'd love to see us spend more time is having people boast about God when they come to church. You know, uh, if you can't boast about God in church, there's no way you're going to boast about him outside of church. You know, if we can't share, you know what God has done for me this week? You know what he did this week? You know what he showed me in the word? you know what he did for me and just boast about him? And I hope that God's doing things in all of our lives so that we have something to boast about. You know, uh, you know, we, and I, have made it through another summer. You know, or Will, when she gets her paycheck three weeks from now, without without falling behind for the first time in you know in years that we've made it through the summer with her not having a check and making it to the end. And this one was a tough one because of all the bills we just talked about. But you know, God blessed. And Looks like we're going to make it through. It's been a tight summer, but it has been, no bill has fallen behind. You know, uh, they've been paid on time, and God is blessed. You know, I love being in one of God's children and watching how He blesses and the things that He does. You know, and do we lift Him up? Do we lift Him up with other Christians and in the church and say, you know what, look what God has done? God did this. God did this. God blessed in this way. God managed to do this for me. I love the fact that God loves us enough to give us what it is. And he says, let him shine forth. Boast about him. You know, then it says, praise him in the firmament of his power. We look at the, the firmament, the sky. Do you realize how beautiful it is to look at the sky even during the daytime when you can't see anything but the sun and the clouds and, and all of that showing his power. But I love to look at the night sky and see his glory shine out in the, in the stars. I used to love it in Guam when you would go outside and the Milky Way would be so bright that the Milky Way would end up casting a shadow, even on a, on a, on a moonless night, the Milky Way cast shadows because it literally looked like milk you know, crossing the sky. And we can't see it in the, anywhere in the, near these cities. And yet out there in the middle of nowhere, it was gorgeous. And the stars were so bright. And they twinkled. And, they, you know, and Guam was far enough south that if you looked into the south, you'd see the southern cross in the sky. Beautiful constellation in the southern sky all by itself a cross. In the sky and you go God what a wonderful thing you put in the sky a reminder of your crucifixion you know we look at these things and we go God look at the wonder here every time I see the constellation Orion I think about the mighty hunter with his foot over the head of the serpent that it that it has and he's getting ready to crush the head of the serpent ready to hit the club on the on the other enemy you know picture of Jesus in the sky you know, it's just so beautiful when you look and you say, wow, God, you put your, your gospel out here for us to see. You've got the wonderful story that for the, all of the people to see. And we just look up and we just praise him. God, what a wonderful sign. Because he said he put the stars as signs for the people. And we read, you know, read the, the gospel message in the sky because he put it there. And hear David saying, praise him. Praise him in the power of his, of his firmament. And we we look at this and how often do we spend just taking time to praise God? You know, this is something that is so important for us. You know, a lot of times we spend time griping and complaining to God. David sure did a lot of times in the book of Psalm. God, you know, why, why are these people, you know, my enemies being blessed and I'm being, I'm being cursed and I'm having to run all over, all over the wilderness while, they, while they're living in their houses and chasing me with whole armies. And finally he would come down to the conclusion, God, thank you, you're, you're wonderful. Uh, but, you know, is our first instinct to praise God in our situations? Usually Not. But if we truly understand that God is for us, he has a good plan for us, and he has a plan, just even has a plan, wouldn't we be more thankful realizing his love and his grace and his mercy and his plan for us? Job did not understand that God had a plan for him when he lost everything. He did not understand God had a plan for him when he lost his health. And his wife was bugging him about just curse God and die because look how bad he's treating you. He did not understand there was a plan when his three friends and their, and their young, young companion came and criticizing him for a period of time about how bad he had to be because of all the bad stuff he was going through. But you know, he had a patience where he trusted God. For whatever reason, he trusted God, and he says, and God blessed him. Now, toward the end, he got a little snippy and said, I want God, God, I want you down here so I can meet you face-to-face so I can have a discussion with you about this. And God came and he shut his mouth. Okay. God showed up and he, God demanded answers and he decided to be quiet. Okay. But for a long period of time, he was very honorable and, and said, you know, I don't understand what's going on, but God has a plan. And, you know, that can get us through a lot of, hard trials, when we go through the trials and say, God, I, and I've said this over and over, many times I've told God, God, I do not understand, but you say all things will work together for good, and you are a God who's in control, you have a plan. I don't understand it, most of the time I don't understand what's going on. I don't know how to get out of certain things, and I sit there and go, God, all I can claim is your promise, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean on it to your own understanding, In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. And sometimes that's my prayer to him. God, don't understand. I know what I want to do, God, but I need you to share with me what you want me to do. Because sometimes it's very hard. We look at our situations and say, God, I just want to quit. God, nothing is worth it. Just I want to quit. And God says, stay faithful. If God before us, who can be against us? What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Paul said, neither height, nor depth, nor width, nor, nor principalities, nor demons, or anything else. He goes, not even God will separate us from God's love. And as long as we truly grab hold of that, what can we get through? Anything God looks comes our way. God, you've got a plan. Yeah, you know, there's the quote that they put up there a long time ago. God's will is what I would choose if I knew everything. All I have to do is admit I don't know everything. <laughs> God, I know you have a plan. Sometimes He gets a, gives us a glimpse of what He's done, and why He's done it. When we read these books about the different missionaries and the people that God's used. Yeah. And we look at their early life and how they're learning to trust God, and you're going, wow, would I have been as faithful as that person? Would I have done what they did? We look at a George Mueller learning to trust God for his, for his needs. We look at the, the ten booms who, who are hiding Jews in their family, and they get caught and punished. And what was, the, what was the benefit of going to these prison camps? They all died except for two of them. You know, we look at all of these things that go on, and God, and you say, God, how can this be good? You look at like somebody like a Johnny Erickson Tata who breaks her neck at age 17, goes, becomes quadriplegic, and say, God, what is the value of this event? And then we look back over her life, and we're not going to say it was a good thing, but God has used it for good. She has made a great ministry, ministering to the disabled that she would never have been interested in if she hadn't become disabled herself, does that mean her disability was, was good? No, we'll never say that, but God used it for good. And had two children. Yeah. So we look at all of these things that go on and say, God, sometimes we're going to say, God, I don't understand. I do not understand why, why are you are letting this go into, in, going on, God. I do not understand why you're letting this pain go on, why you're, why you're letting this happen or this happen. God, why, why does this family who seems to be trying so hard seem to have so many bad breaks? What are you trying to teach them and us from that? You know, are, they, are they reaping what they've sown or are they just needing to be an example of how to follow God? We don't know. And all we can do is say, God, I want to trust you. God, why does it look like the wicked always prevail and do good? And God says, well, you know, judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. And they suffer even on this life in most cases, even though we don't necessarily know it. The wicked suffer in our lifetime, even though it looks like everything's going good for them. If you really get to know them, you know that they're empty. You know that they're struggling. They look like they have everything. People say, well, I wish, I I wish they was them. And I go. You probably don't. You probably don't wish that you were them and have what they had because you wouldn't be able. You wouldn't be handling any better than they do. You know, praise God. Verse two. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. God's mighty acts. You know, every day he gives us a new day. You now and and we know that he put the world into motion and and the activities that are going on but you know our world is winding down our our globe is spinning slower every every year the actual spin of the earth is decreasing it's starting to wobble on the axis just like any spinning top which is part of why we know that we're at the end God spun it like a top and it's slowing down and we're gonna look at this and say God we're, we're close to the end. This top only has so much longer to spin before it stops. Where would that be found in the Bible where it spins it like a top? Just, he spun it. You know, it does tell us that it's toppling but science is telling us that it's slowing down. Yeah. Well, he but he put everything in motion. I'd have to look up that verse to say he put everything in motion. Just the fact that it was put into motion. Yeah, God put everything in motion. At the start, and we're seeing it slowing down. Just as anything that it, you know, if you spin a spinning top, it eventually will totter and fall. And we're seeing our Earth totter now. And we know that it's slowing. Scientifically, we know it's slowing. But the top word itself, the word for "top," is it? I don't think it's necessarily in there. I just use that as an example of what he did. Yeah, God put everything in motion. And you know, our science tells us that everything is slowing down, everything is dying. You know, that's the second law of thermodynamics. Everything leads to entropy, which means it leads to deadness or lack of energy. And our entire universe is headed that direction. And that's the strongest proof that there is a supernatural event that started everything. Because it says the first law of thermodynamics says that energy is neither created nor destroyed. So that means it's eternal, or it had a supernatural beginning. The second law says that everything is leaning to entropy or technically a deadness, a lack of motion. So if energy was eternal, we should live in a dead universe because it means you go back as far as you can and it's always been there, eventually you'd end up with a dead universe and people go, well, we're in the middle of eternity, you can't be in the middle of eternity. Okay, and I know that's a hard concept for people to think of, but you can't be in the middle of something that has no beginning and no end. Or technically you're always in the middle, but if they never had a beginning, that means it should have died sometime in the past. So the laws of entropy really do prove that there's a supernatural beginning for this world and universe. Now they will call them, well, that's only involved in a closed closed system. Well, the universe is a very large system, but it is a closed system. Okay, It's a very large closed system, but it is closed. We think about God's mighty acts. He put this universe into motion. He created the universe. He put things in motion that we can't even barely comprehend. A huge universe that we go wow God look at this universe that you've created and yet it's falling down the consequences of sin in our universe was that the universe was cursed everything about this world was cursed can you imagine the power of Adam and Eve's disobedience was for the entire creation to be cursed be supernatural we've got a we've got at least a thousand years left in this world but it is slowing down it is changing Uh, Our sun is shrinking, the the earth's rotation speed is slowing down. I don't know about the circling around the sun, I'm sure it's slowing down as well. Because that's part of the motions being drifting down. But you know, man's sin affected everything. The animals were cursed. and were made wild and, and vicious toward attacking one another and no longer just eating grass and being friends with us. The, the ground was cursed that it brings up thorns. The trees would not yield their, their full capacity that they're supposed to you know, go. The very nature around us becomes violent. We have earthquakes and hurricanes and tornadoes and, and all these stuff because of the fall of man. The whole earth is waiting for Christ to return and be master, you know, because he will then restore until he destroys this heaven and earth and creates a new heaven and earth. But everything, totally gone, and all because of man's sin. You know, what power was given to Adam and Eve to control, you know, and if they had not sinned, what a difference this world would be. I don't know what it would be like. But God knew that they would sin and still created them. And that's mind boggling. But the great acts, the mighty acts, you know, God gives us a new day every day, a new period of 24 hours to live in and, and use the best of. And eventually, we'll give this eternity with him because we're his, his children. His mighty goodness and his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. I love this. Excellent, exceedingly abundant, you know, greatness. Do you ever think about the greatness of God and his power? I do every once in a while. Man, God, what power you have. The Psalms tell us that God owns the the cattle on the hills, and he owns all the hills as well, you know, so it's like, what more could he do? You know, god has everything, and he allows us to use his stuff you know, allows us to use his stuff hopefully to glorify him and yet, how many people use god 's stuff to to glorify themselves to try to build themselves up, even in Christian circles that happens People use all the stuff that god 's given them gives them to support themselves you know and that's a sad thing the idea of what do we give to God how much do we give to God Uh, many people will say the tithe is all the Old Testament and everything and you know what it is it's only mentioned in the Old Testament but God told Malachi that you know you rob God by not giving your tithe Paul said that we're to be cheerful givers Jesus raised every standard in the Old Testament to a higher level so my question when somebody says, well, the tithe is in the Old Testament. Okay, good. So how much more than the tithe are you giving? Okay, if you don't like the tithe, you think it's Old Testament and law, fine. How much more? Jesus said if we look at somebody with lust, we've committed adultery in our heart. If we're angry with a brother, we've committed murder in our heart. He upped the ante on the, on the law. So if we want to say the, the tithe is Old Testament law, that's fine. Jesus raised the ante on all the laws. so how much more are we giving than than the tithe? But, you know, we're under liberty. We don't have to give or not give. God's not an accountant up there saying, well, you gave or you didn't give. But if you don't give, you're losing out on the blessings of giving. And for most people, they go, well, I don't know. Can I give a tithe? You know, I don't make much. In my lifetime, I've learned I can't afford not to give the tithe. In the days when I didn't make anything to the days when I make a good bit of money, And used to make more than I make now. A tithe is just a 10% gift to God. Not to sound my own horn, but I'm just saying, God has said, you know, God, I want to just give you back for all your mighty, excellent things you're doing, God. I want to give back. And God says, look at all that I'm doing. I praise God for all the blessings that he's given me over the years. And the fact that he has met all my needs. Not necessarily the way I would've wanted them, but you know, God has always met our needs. There's always been a roof over our head. There's been food on the table, not necessarily the food we always wanted. My, my oldest son has certain foods he doesn't like because we ate way too much of it when we were, when we were poor. There was always food on the table. Maybe not exactly what we wanted. Maybe not all that we wanted, but there was always food on the table. There was a roof over our heads. We could get back and forth to where we had to go. God has met the needs and then some over the years. His mighty greatness. Verse 3, praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and the harp. Now this is definitely a musician talking. (laughs) Praise him with the trumpet, the shofar. The ram's horn, you know, um, and the ram's horn, I don't know how many sounds it makes. I don't know how it works. You know, it's the guys that can play it can seem to make all kinds of notes come out of it. Uh, I, 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 I blew on one. It didn't sound very good. <laughs> I blew on one. It didn't sound nothing. noise came out. But he says, praise him with the sound of the trumpet. And the trumpet was used for battle. It was used for calling back the, the troops. It was used for during the marching of the people. It was called call to the to the sanctuary. It was a call to worship. We in our days we've we've used bells. In their days it was the the shofar that it's time to praise. They would blow the shofar during the feast days when it was time to start the feast because they could now see the moon or the whatever whatever it was they were using to judge. The, the, and they would sound the shofar. Now the feast day starts. And I'm sure this is what the writer's thinking of, the shofar, the call to worship. Because at this time, it wasn't being so much used for battle call. When Jesus comes back on the cloud and says to, get, to whoever, they blow the trumpets in, will it be a shofar? It says blow the trumpets and the word they use, is shofar. But I'm not sure that there's a great big ram's horn <laughs> that they're using it might be. And is that the first time he comes back after the church, or it is? It's when he returns for his second coming. The rapture of the church is the snatching away, the harpazo, the snatching away of the church, and the church will be just snatched away, and and Satan will have his free, semi-free hand because he still has to ask for permission for God whatever he's going to do. But he's going to have a lot more freedom than he has now for seven years, and he's going to be bound for a thousand years, and then that. And that shofar will sound, or the trumpet will sound when he returns in victory as the king leading his army to take control of the world for a thousand years. And it's kind of amazing that Satan has kept wanting to set up thousand year kingdoms. You know, he's trying to mimic God in everything that he does. You know, because Hitler, when he wanted to start, he was going to start the thousand year kingdom, but he's not the only one that's talked about thousand-year kingdoms because it is what God's doing, and Satan wants to duplicate everything that God does, all right? He wants to be the God of this world. He wants to be the ruler of this world, and you'll have a short time when he's going to be ruler of the world and destructive of it, you know, but the sound, praise him with the sound of the trumpet, praise him with the sultry and the harp. Uh, Sultry is a a lute, or, or of that type of nature. Some people think it's a guitar type type uh, instrument, uh, and with the harp, you know, not not the great big harps we think of with a whole bunch of strings, but something very much like the lute as well, you know. Usually something of a much smaller handheld type. David played instruments, you know. He was a musician. How many instruments he played, we don't know. We know that he played. The the harp, we're told, and I think he, it said that he played the, the psaltery, so he played string instruments. And those who play string instruments seem to be able to play just about any string instrument most of the time. okay uh, It's amazing to watch gifted musicians. They can play just about any instrument out there. They just pick it up and they can play them. Uh, my daughter amazes me with her ability just to pick up instruments and play them. Uh, never been trained to play the guitar, and she can play the guitar. She can play, the, play the, the organ and the, you know, the pianos and those things. Uh, she's trained to play the violin and viola. She's a musician. She can just pick up these instruments and play them. It's an amazing gift, not one that I have. Me neither. Okay. I can pluck out a tune on a piano because I know the notes and I know what matches on the piano. And given enough practice, you would be able to recognize the song barely. <laughs> Uh, I can strum notes, uh, chords on a guitar, but it never sounds like what what it's supposed to sound like. You'd never pick out what, what song's being played when I strum it on the guitar. It's not a gift God gave me. David is saying, praise him with all these instruments. Now, I think that we can praise him with whatever way that God wants us to be praising him. Might be our voice, he says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Make a loud noise with rejoicing praises make a joyful noise unto the lord you know and you know he's he just wants p- us to praise him you know, and i think about this so often do we praise god enough probably not i know i don't as much as i praise him i don't praise him enough and i love to get in my car and just sing i love to listen to messages i i love to even make up songs this idea of just praising God. God, you are so wonderful. We can praise him in song. We can praise him in words. We can praise him in, in teaching. Verse 4, praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with the stringed instruments and the organs. Praise him with the timbrel, the tambourine. Pounding on that tambourine. Almost anybody can pound on a tambourine if they can keep, keep any kind of uh, beat. So we, he says praise and, and the dance. This is kind of an interesting thing, dancing. David danced before the Lord as he brought the Ark into the Jerusalem. You know, and Michael criticized him because he was dancing, and he'd take off his royal garment. You know, and, and she said, you, know, you made a real fool of yourself. And he goes, give me an opportunity, and I'll do worse. You know, I'm praising God. Baptist churches tend to be very sedate in their worship. And if anybody was to dance, they would probably be looked at as, as crazy, but you know, God says to dance, as long as it's a righteous type of dance, I have no problem with it. You know, I would love to see it. Now, if you're trying to be seductive and all of that other stuff that can go in there, no, we don't want to see any of that. But it says to, it says to dance. It says to praise God. You know, this idea of just standing there stone-faced in front of God while you're praising him is not my idea of praise. You know, uh, you know, Luckily, in our church, most people smile when they're praising God in, their, in the song. I've been to churches where you would swear that if they smiled, they were going to break their face. Even when they're singing gospel songs. Praise the Lord, hallelujah, keep my frame on my face because I can't make it look like I'm having any fun you know. while I'm praising God. You know, and, you know, I've been there, I've seen it. You know, you know. All right, quit eating your lemons before you come and praise God, smile, enjoy God. But he says, praise him with the timbre, praise him with the dance, praise him with the stringed instruments and with the organs. You know, in this case, it's literally harps. Okay, the, the, multi-string, the multi-stringed instruments. Uh, and we look at this and say, God, what is it that you want me to do? You want me to rejoice. Rejoice evermore in everything. Give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. Are we that excited about God? God, thank you for this new day. Yeah, I've been waking up the last few weeks just praising God on my wake up. I don't know why it's been so different, but God, thank you. I don't know what you're doing, and praying for situations even before I roll out of the bed, I'm praise, praising God. Or sometimes requesting things from Him because sometimes the day is God. Yesterday was really tough. I want to, you know, can you give me a little better day today? know but remembering God is good all the time and all the time God is good if we really truly believe that it changes the way we look at the day now I think about God's not dead when the when he's out there with the missionary and you know he's saying the all these bad things and he goes remember and the missionary goes remember God is good all the time when we go through things that are, are really hard do we look at God and say, God, why are you doing this? Or, we go, or do we look at God and say, God, don't know why you're doing this, but I know that you're good. You've got a good plan. How does that change our outlook to everything that we do? God, don't understand. Don't understand what you're doing. Don't understand why you're doing it. All I know is you've got a good plan. You've promised that all things work together for good. And God, I know that you're in charge of this world, even when it doesn't seem like you're in charge of this world. You are in charge of this world. And I love to think about Job. Job would, looking at the, what was happening in his life, could look, could look at God and go, God, I, did you lose control of the world? Did you, did you go to sleep? Did you go take a nap? Remember Elijah on Mount Carmel? You know, they're, they're, they're praying to the ball <laughs> the, the, the and they go, well, maybe he yelled a little louder. Maybe he went to the restroom. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he went on vacation. He went to you know, have you ever been in a place where you maybe thought that about God? Uh, God, uh, so much is going wrong in my life. Did you maybe go take a vacation and leave me alone for a while? You know, God, I don't know what you're doing. You know, God has a plan, always. Always has a plan, and we need to keep that in, them, in, in our mind. Even when everything looks like it's going wrong in our life, every, even when it looks like nothing is ever going to be right in our life, we look at it and say, God, you've got a plan. I don't know what it is. I Just help me to trust Help me to trust and have faith in you. The man that Jesus talked to and he says, Do you believe? He goes, Yes, I do. Help me with my unbelief. Sometimes that's our prayer for God. God, I believe you've got a plan. Help me with my unbelief about this. I want to accept that you have a plan and that you're in control. Help me. Help me with my unbelief. Because there are times when we look around us and say, God, I just don't understand. God, how how can any of what's been going on in my life be good and God says I've got a plan even when we deserve what's going on in our life because of our sin God has a plan to work it for good Look at Solomon. <laughs> yeah you know even when we deserve what's going wrong he has a plan to use for good so we just need to be able to trust God you've got a plan God, it is going to be good. Don't see how it can be for good, but God, it, it will be for good. And when we look back on our life, we see just that in most cases. Wow, oh, God, you know, you really did use that. I never understood how that really bad spot in my life was going to be for good, but now that I'm looking back, I can see it. Now, will we always see what's been good in our life? Probably not. God has never promised us that he was going to explain everything that he does in our life. Matter of fact, Jesus said, they hated me, they're going to hate you. Bad things are going to happen. But he's got a plan. When we are patient to go through what he does, God uses it to reveal himself to others. We've read through Fox's Book of Martyrs. Hundreds of martyrs listed in there. And how did God use them? And the kingdom grew because of their death. Now, was that a great thing for them to, go, to die because of, the, because of God? Well, it turned out to be good. People came to Christ. Would they be willing to know that, that if, if they knew that, God, you're going to bring 10 people to the kingdom, if you're going to bring five people to the kingdom, God, you bring one person in the kingdom because I go through this test and trial that is hard for my life, is it worth it? I've got the sign on the wall of my office to remind me what is the value of a soul? What are we willing to go through if just one soul comes to Christ through it? Would we go through being made paralyzed if a soul would come to Christ because of it? Would we be homeless if one soul came to Christ because of it? What would we be willing to do if one person got saved because of what happened to us? Hopefully anything. But it also comes into true trust with God. And sometimes it means just praying, God, don't understand it. Give me, help me have faith. Help me stay content. Help me stay following you. Praise him. Praise him. Verse 5, praise him with the loud cymbals, with the high-sounding cymbals. And these literally are two different types of cymbals. The great big clashing cymbals that, that really don't make any, any true music. But where they're used properly in the orchestra, they come across at just the right time to bring a big counterpoint. You're not going to beat the cymbals with any kind of real music. It's just there's a time for them, and God says there's a time for the loud cymbals to praise Him, and then the with the tinkling of the the cymbals, the high sounding ones, you know, the little ones that they do make noise on. Uh, they they run their Run their stick across to make, a, make a, just a soft, tinkling noise that, that really is part of the music as well. And God says, "Sometimes just the noise is what you need. Now, if you go to a concert and you hear all these different little instruments, I mean, how many of you would want to sit through a tuba so, solo? <laughs> now it's probably not the instrument you want to hear a solo for you know, boom, 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 you know. Now, a really good player could probably make it worthwhile, but it's not really the instrument you go to, the, go to listen to for a solo. Uh, you know, and I can think of other instruments, you know, that, that are like that, that are not the instrument that you play, that everybody says, oh, I want to go here to sit, you know, it's not like the concert pianist who can play by themselves and really play a beautiful Beautiful melody and, and counterpoints and everything, all in the one instrument. It's not like the violin being played by a master that that draws everything in. There's just certain instruments that just don't have that reputation. Cymbals being one of them. Okay, the kettle drum would be another. Kettle drums can have a nice beat to it, but you know you're not usually going to go to the go to, I just can't wait. I want to hear this kettle drum solo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, even though you can have a master playing it, but it, it's just not what you're going to go to. I want to. I just can't wait to go hear that kettle drum solo, that, that tuba solo. Okay, those aren't usually instruments that are featured. Okay, but David lists these kind of instruments. Praise God with these instruments that just have a part. You know, David put the Levites, and he says we are going to create music in the in the tabernacle twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, there's going to be music being played i don 't know how many how hard that was to be the musician playing at three o'clock in the morning when nobody really is probably in the in the ta- tabernacle, and yet they're there playing worship music for God, maybe even having singers because there were singers that were dedicated to being singers, and maybe they were part of it. Can you imagine going to the church? And no matter what time you went there, there was music being played by an orchestra. David yeah. obviously talked about orchestras being played. You know, I've heard people complain, "What are you having guitars and drums in a church for?" Well, because the Bible tells you to put them there. You know, God says to use all these instruments, and if I could have a cymbal player playing with the, with the orchestra, we'd have a cymbal player. You know. Now, do I want a cymbal player if I don't have the other instruments? Probably not, <laughs> you know, do, you know, you know uh, but you know, if we have the whole orchestra, the cymbals have a place. The kettle drum would have a place. The tuba would have a place, okay? It would be all these instruments in a huge orchestra that all have their place. And I would love to have a church big enough to have all that stuff. Of course, right now we don't have. With our, if we had everybody in our church playing an instrument, we still wouldn't have an orchestra. (laughs) Uh, But you know, God is saying, praise Him. Our attitude needs to be for praising Him. You know, to to sing before Him, to praise Him, and to just lift Him up, because that's what He's asking to have done. God wants to be lifted up in praise, and. Maybe that's part of what he created man to do is just to praise him. And not that he needed it. He had the whole angels to praise him. He had the praise within the Holy Trinity because the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit edify one another and build each other up. They didn't need man. And yet he asked man, just praise him. Lift him up. And then this last verse I love, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise you the Lord. Everything that has breath. I think sometimes that the animals are praising God with their with their with their voices and everything because God says, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. And sometimes you just listen, just to listen to the woods, the meadows, and hear the various sounds that are going on. And just everything that has breath. And you know, Jesus when he was told by the Pharisees and scribes on the triumphant, get these people quiet. They're they're praising you and they shouldn't be. And Jesus said, if they were quiet, the very rocks would cry out. Now I can't imagine what that would mean for the rocks to cry out and praise. But Jesus said it could happen. So that means it could happen. Now I have no idea what sound rocks could make if it was if nothing else was out there to praise God. I bet it would be beautiful and if God gave them the voice to, <laughs> to make the sound. It would, be, it would be beautiful. You know, and we know that God has used anything. He used ravens to feed Elijah when he was hiding by the brook. Okay, God uses the animals. They're under his command. Noah, when he built the ark, God sent the animals to Noah. Because many people, how did he go all around the world finding these animals? God sent them to you. It says so. Read the Bible. <laughs> He sent them to Noah. Noah didn't go wandering around. Okay, kangaroos got him. Koalas got him. Anteaters got him. Ants got him. Going to keep them way over on the other side of the ark from the anteaters. You know, aardvarks got him. Zebras got him. You know, he didn't have this checklist and saying, oh, you got to go find all these things. God sent him the animals. God has used animals all through the Bible to praise him and, and let things be done. Balaam was so dense the animal had to talk to him. Okay. You know, and to me it's always amazed me, you know, not that the animal talked. That has never amazed me. The thing that amazes me that Balaam talked to the animal like this is something we do every day. Now, I do know that there are people out there that talk to their animals and swear that their animals talk to them. But this animal literally talked to them. Okay. Uh, maybe he was just used to talking to his donkey. I don't know. But, you know, we look at this and say, look what animals have done over the time in the scriptures to lift up, to honor, to praise God. You know, oh, what glory God must get at what he hears. But also what sorrow God must get as he listens to this world. He went to Cain and said, the voice of your brother's blood calls out to me. That was one death. Can you imagine all the innocent lives that have, been, that have been murdered in our generations? 60 million children murdered in the womb in the name of, of the right of the woman to kill them. What screaming must be going into God's ears. The innocence of the people who've committed suicide when, when God had a plan for them. The idea of euthanasia is just killing somebody because they're worthless. The blood screams out to God. What a tremendous noise God must be hearing for all the innocent blood, not just blood being shed, but the innocent blood being shed in our generation. Screaming out to God for justice. In Revelation, it talks about the martyrs, those who have been martyred. How long, God, until you're going to Revenge us. And he says, just a little longer. They're crying out for vengeance because they were killed for no reason. How loud is the cry to God for all the innocent blood being shed? I don't know what it would be like, and I'm glad we don't hear it. I don't know how God can listen to it with his righteous, holy justice. But it's going to spread. It's going to come down on people with harshness. The seven years of tribulation is going to be the punishment for all of this stuff going on. Where he says, you're being punished. Turn to me. And I keep saying they've refused to turn to God. Even in spite of all this. We look at what happened in Egypt. Ten plagues and the people would not turn to God. And God says Pharaoh hardened his heart until he got to the point where it says God hardened his heart because he kept hardening in his heart. And the people you know, yelling out to Pharaoh, let these people go, we're we're going to be destroyed. And Pharaoh hardens his heart. In the end times, people are going to harden their heart toward God. They're going to blame God, just like they always do. God, how could you let this happen to us? This storm hurt so many people and you let it happen. This event happened and you let it happen. It's an amazing thing because people go, how can a God who is a loving, good God let all this evil happen? And the answer to that is there's consequence for sin. When somebody chooses to do wrong, there are consequences. And the sad thing is, oftentimes, quote unquote, innocent people get hurt when they choose to be disobedient and God said and you know my answer to people is do you really want God to stop all evil? And I've done this in the college. Oh yeah, I think I really would. Okay, so I'm going to pray that you cannot make a choice to do anything wrong. Well, no, I don't want that. I go that's the only way to stop evil from happening is to be able to say that you cannot do wrong. Because when you do wrong, consequences happen that hurts other people. And that's why all these bad things happen is because people can do and do wrong things Adam and Eve sinned and all of creation suffered they started this whole thing in motion and people have just gotten worse since then and the consequences are just getting worse and God's gonna say we're gonna let the consequences get worse we're seeing it in our country As we get further and further away from God, we're seeing more and more consequence from God, both natural and human. We're seeing storms that we have not seen in this country since it started. We're seeing activity and earthquakes and and natural disasters that we have not seen in this country at the scale that we're seeing it since it started, because it started godly. If you look back at the Indian legends, what we're seeing are not uncommon. God blessed this country because of our foundational roots. He gave us blessings. And as we're drawing away from God, he's saying, fine, you don't want the blessings? We'll give you back the, the natural activities of this world. Because angel, the Indians have these stories of great floods and hurricanes and storms and, and everything. This country and this continent has had major catastrophes in the past. And God protected us while we were on following him. I know that history is changing all the reports, but the first settlers from this country came here to start worshiping God in freedom and to evangelize the Indians, not to plunder the land like is being told in the history books now. They didn't come here to plunder and steal everything they could from the Indians. They came here to evangelize. And they did a good job in the initial part. And we need to be able to understand God blessed this country because we followed him. And we're suffering as we start getting away from him. And as we said so many times, and this morning we said it again, we have been so blessed in this country. We have Bibles. We can have a Bible. We can carry our Bible openly. We can come to this building and and the church can meet in this building freely. We did not have to sneak in here tonight under the cloak of darkness one at a time to be able to have a meeting. And there are places in this world where that's still true. To have a meeting where you're going to talk about the word of God. You have to come one at a time. Takes you two hours to get to the meeting then you get to have a half-hour meeting and then you get to go take two hours to get out of the meeting and we can just come and praise God openly we can share the gospel with others now we may get criticized by them but in America we're not going to be thrown into prison for sharing the gospel all over this world there are people sitting in prison because they shared the gospel all over this world. People dying because they dare to believe in Jesus Christ and God and not some God of that nation, usually Allah. And they will get killed because they dare not to believe in somebody else. Our world is changing. It's getting more and more hostile even in our country. To share the gospel you get some hostile reactions sometimes. To say that there is sin, and God judges sin, will get you into hot water. To make a decision to follow God, even in our country, can get you into trouble. We may have a small, short window of reprieve, but I don't know how long that window is going to be. Very short, before things will turn. We need to prepare our hearts. Prepare our hearts to be judged. Jesus said they hated me, they're gonna hate you. We need to be ready. Ready for that hatred to come out. And it is getting worse. You know, right now it's really bad on the internet because people can hide behind their internet names. If you read some of the comments that go out on the internet, it would shock you. It would shock you the hatred for Christians. The, the hatred for God. Because they're hiding behind their little hidden name that nobody knows who they are. It's going to come out. What's in their heart will come out. Because Jesus said, what is in your heart will come out. The hatred they have for for God and God's people is going to come out. And it will shock most Christians because we're not used to this idea of the suffering that's going to happen. Get ready. Prepare your hearts to, to understand that when bad things happen, it's natural. It's the norm. Our country has been unnatural for over 200 years. There's been no country in the world that you can speak as freely in, as you can in America and not get retaliation back for speaking about God. We need to get ready. And this one said, ends with praise you the Lord. Hallelujah. So let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you. Lord, help us learn to do, to witness, to stand for you in spite of anything. Lord, help us to see that you have a good plan. We may not understand it most of the time, but you have a good plan. Help us to just accept it. Go with us as we go about our business this week. In Jesus' name, amen.